Hello and welcome once again and welcome to Viton Council Live. This is episode number six. The Viton Council is an invitation only organization for professionals to be able to connect, publish content and excel. And we help our members grow and launch their careers in business and specifically in marketing. We're here every single week at 12 p.m. Central U.S. time on LinkedIn Live. Here's what's happening in business that you need to know about this week. General Motors typically pays millions of dollars to promote individual car brands in the Super Bowl, but this year will use the TV spot to actually tout its corporate brand as well. One of the ads that in the game will use comedian Will Ferrell to help position GM as a player in marketing in making electric vehicles for the masses. The company plans to implement new technology, plans to roll out electric vehicles across brands, including Cadillac, Buick, Chevrolet, and GMC. Marcel McConus, the U.S. CMO at Anheuser-Busch, said the company will not be devoting a Super Bowl commercial to Budweiser this year. It's the first time since 1983. Instead, the company is pledging to spend airtime to campaigns related to COVID-19 vaccinations instead. The company will commit $1 million of ad inventory to vaccine awareness and education work, producing a multi-million dollar vaccine awareness campaign throughout the year. Video platform Vimeo this week announced new integrations with HubSpot and MailChimp, along with Constant Contact. The new tools will allow users to be able to customize contact forms to their videos, sync form submissions directly to their preferred email marketing platform, as well as engage prospects with in-email video gifts. The company's goal is to help companies improve their lead generation strategies. Scott Brinker, who's the VP of Platform in Ecosystems at HubSpot, said in a press release this week that, quote, with Vimeo's new integration with HubSpot's CRM platform, leads generated within videos will seamlessly flow into the company's marketing and sales engine, end quote. Now, looking ahead, this native integration will allow marketers to be able to create video content with seamless tracking of the video's performance, as well as syncing information that impacts lead generation directly to a company's CRM and marketing stack. Facebook reported record revenues for profits for the fourth quarter, while also heating up its battle with Apple. Facebook profit rose 52% to $11.2 billion last quarter. Meanwhile, Apple and Facebook have come in conflict in recent years on issues ranging from data collection to App Store fees. The latest flashpoint, though, is Apple's plan to allow users to opt out of third-party apps collecting certain data. Facebook said that this could limit its ad targeting capabilities. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg said, quote, Apple may be doing this to help people, but they move clearly tracks their competitive interests. We and others are going to be against this for the foreseeable future, end quote. Facebook published an article for advertisers with actions to prepare for the upcoming changes. The suggestions include updating to Facebook's SDK software development kit for iOS 14 version 8.1, verifying your website's domain name to avoid disruption to website campaigns, and configuring eight preferred web conversion events in a business's event manager. With a new limit on web conversion events, when an advertiser tries to optimize for a website conversion that is not one of the eight prioritized website conversion events, the campaign's ad set will actually be turned off. It will not be possible to turn this ad set back on, so a new ad set will need to be created. All this happens while Apple finished 2020 with its most profitable quarter ever. It's fueled by an increase in higher-end iPhone sales, a surge of laptop and tablet sales due to the pandemic. 
Google has also been impacted as well. The company shared a glimpse of its app tracking transparency plan yesterday, but the company offered few details about how it's readying itself for Apple's iOS 14 changes. The company acknowledges that advertisers may see a palpable impact on their Google ad revenue on iOS once Apple's policies take effect due to the reduced visibility into performance metrics and measurement. It's still unclear, though, when Apple will implement the new data privacy framework. It did not roll out as part of the iOS 14.4 release on Tuesday, as some suspected that it might. Google has said that they'll continue investing in alternative technology and on-device solutions to help with conversion modeling. The company's encouraging advertisers to closely monitor the performance and delivery of all of their iOS app campaigns to closely make bid and budget tweaks while focusing on target cost per install or target cost per action bid types. This week, Instagram launched a new professional dashboard with enhanced analytics for creators. The company's announced a new management overall platform with basic performance insights as well as access to relevant tools. And this will help Instagram creators maximize and monetize their performance presence. The performance dashboard offers insights into three key areas. The first one is your ability to be able to track your performance. It highlights key trends and data notes based on your account comparison. Second is gross your business which provides quick access to be able to manage badges, branded content, as well as IGTV promotions. It also includes an account's eligibility to check for their status and monetization. The Stay Informed area, which is the third area, provides links to Instagram's latest educational resources. Now, all of these features have been available previously, but the new professional dashboard brings them together into a single place. I'm part of the CMO Council, which includes 16,000 other senior executives in marketing, analytics, and digital or revenue. And this morning, the CMO Council released their, quote, how to get it done in 2021 report, which surveyed over 200 members. Two-thirds of those surveyed say that they will boost marketing spend in 2021, and most do not expect to downsize or restructure their organizations in the coming year. Strategic focuses varied across different leaders, but half of the half said that they will be focusing on customer journey, acquisition, and conversion as their primary focus. The other important areas that these marketing leaders said that they were planning were digital growth strategies, campaign execution, and management. 69% of marketing executives said that they're investing more in marketing technology. 53% said that they would be investing in customer insights and analytics. Talent continues to be key in 2021, and only a quarter of marketers say that they plan to cut staff or restructure in 2021. Each week, we're going to invite recruiters and business leaders onto this show to be able to share their career strategies, mindsets, and tips. Here to join us is Maura Kennedy, Director of Marketing and Public Relations at Pond Lee Hockey. She's a fellow member of the Forbes Communications Council with me, and she also has a former TV news and reporter anchor uh, in the past for CVS, ABC, and Fox News affiliates. Maura, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Very excited to have you on as well. Now, you come from a really impressive journalism background. Do you miss having a front seat to presidential campaigns and other historical events? I do. I miss being so close to the action, but, you know, I still get to be a part of the action just on the other side. Um, I am a part of a really great team and we are doing um, really awesome pitches, media pitches, and picking out those gem of a stories. 
Um, and so I have um, a good time also on the other side of the aisle where I'm doing PR and communications. Yeah, and you can't uh, complain about the less travel and work-life balance uh, with the news cycle being literally 24-7 these days, it appears like. You know, what led to your career pivot into marketing and public relations? Yes, uh, of course, the um, hours are a little bit better now that I'm not working um, the crazy hours of a journalist, but um, I really just wanted the challenge of being you know, on the other side, like I keep saying, I keep talking about, um, you know, helping thought leaders um, anticipate those reporter questions, understand how to build on media relations, how to build a team um, of PR experts. So um, it's been a really great challenge so far. And I've really enjoyed focusing more on communications and not just broadcast journalism. Yeah, I bet it gives you an interesting perspective being able to see both sides, formerly on the journalist side and then now working on the in-house side. What advice would you give to somebody who's looking to make a big change in job function or job industry in their next career move? Network as much as you can. And I know it's a pandemic, so networking is virtual, but utilize LinkedIn. It's free unless you get the premium, which is also um, a great tool. So reach out on LinkedIn, ask someone to have virtual coffee. Um, someone's asked me that. And, you know, after a week of doing a lot of video meetings, um, sometimes you think coffee's the last thing, but it was an actual um, really fun experience. So I would just you know, take the chance and reach out to people, especially LinkedIn, and ask to network. Find out where these leaders are um, part of committees or part of different groups and organizations. Um, again, attend those virtual events, those virtual meetings. Be where they are. So next time they have a open position or career opportunity, they're thinking of you. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll bring up your LinkedIn profile here. Feel free to connect and follow Mora on LinkedIn. What advice would you give to somebody in terms of how to network? I know that is kind of a broad question, but we've seen from the audience, a lot of people just saying, I don't know really how to reach out and try to connect. Become a thought leader in your own industry, and you could do that on LinkedIn. Um, write what you know. Talk about what you know. Um, become that expert that people in your different groups are looking for. Every time there's an opportunity, whether it's free earned media or you know a friend of a friend who needs you on a podcast, you know they're looking for an expert. Raise your hand. Um, be a part of that opportunity. Look for different opportunities and email newsletters and different virtual events where you could be a contributor or serve on the panel of experts. Um, just look out for those different opportunities because everyone is important. Practicing really does matter. Yeah, it's really fascinating to me. You know, a lot of people will look at these YouTubers that literally have millions of organic followers saying, you know, the train is left on YouTube. It's too late for me to start a channel because there's so many other channels out there. And to your point, the podcast is still very early on. There's a fraction of podcasts compared uh, to YouTube and you don't even have to be on camera. It takes out half of the work being audio only where you can literally record a podcast from your cell phone nowadays. Um, 
I mean, what, how have podcasts become part of your life now, both as a consumer and a marketer? You know, I walk a lot because I live alone and it's a pandemic. So I'm doing a lot of walking. I'm by myself a lot. So, you know, instead of throwing on that news 24 seven podcasts have really um, made that silence a little bit easier here and there. Um, you know, I'm listening to all different kinds of podcasts, especially ones that um, can inform like this one can inform and help me. Um, so I feel like you know, I'm doing some good by not just listening to the news um, or another TV show, but I'm educating myself, informing myself, um, staying new on what's relevant, what's topical, what's going on in the world. Um, and to understand what other people are listening to is also very helpful. Understand um, why different podcasters are actually talking about the topics they're, ta they're talking about. It lets me know what you know, different journalists or different radio hosts might be talking about and want to hear from in terms of a PR pitch or an expert that we might have at the law firm. So it's always a good opportunity to be in tuned, especially to podcasts, since it's more and more popular these days, just be in tune to what everyone else is doing and hearing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. You know, sometimes when you watch the news, it's the it's the same surface level conversation that repeats itself every single hour on every single show. And I love the podcast ability to just be able to get deeper, but you actually get a more of an understanding of a person's background and context uh, versus what you can do on a shorter um, any type of shorter format. But, you know, the on on the go and being able to digest is huge as well. And uh, I'm keeping an eye on Alexa flash briefings. I have for a while, I built it into my daily habit to listen to a, a briefing, but talk about an easy way of being able to put out content where you're the pressure is literally three minutes um, to be able to put out a flash briefing. Um, you know, how has the pandemic impacted your marketing messaging overall and how you think about channels. You mentioned, you know, the the time and the walks, which I think I, everybody that I talk to now is going on more walks and podcasts is obviously great for that. Um, how have you shifted your strategies overall? In terms of direct marketing, we're not focusing as much um, with our clients. We know that many of the clients right now are concerned about their cases with all the switches in the pandemic. Um, they're wondering what's going on, rightfully so. So we don't want to fill um, their inbox with um, marketing emails when they're looking for communication from their attorney about what's going on. Um, and of course, our messaging or language has shifted. We have a lot of clients who are essential and frontline workers. So um, really being sensitive to that fact and understanding that the world has changed um, and our language, our messaging, our communications needs to change as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I just realized, you know, we haven't talked about what the firm, uh, the firm does. Do you want to introduce... Uh, the type of marketing that you're that you're in, you know, it's not a B two B marketing, but tell us a little bit about that so that our viewers can get an understanding of the context of um, the work that the firm does. Sure. So we do a bit of B two B, B two C. So we have clients, and we also work a lot with um, referral partners or referral attorneys. So 
Um, if we're not able to help someone specifically in-house with one of our own attorneys, we make sure they get the help they need, um, whether it's here in Pennsylvania or nationwide. Um, so at Ponley Hockey, we serve injured and disabled clients um, anywhere from workers' comp, um, Social Security disability to long-term disability. So a lot of people who have a lot of employment questions now, um, questions about, you know, their workplace rights. Um, we are, you know, the law firm that can give you those resources that can give um, advice or give the recommendation, the tips, the legal help um, that people are seeking. So you have the website up there. Um, we also have our intake specialists on our website. So anytime you could go on there um, and chat with them and we'll make sure to get in touch with you. And something that I think is really interesting about doing marketing for this, you know, I've heard other marketers complain about how long it takes to be able to build awareness for their target audience. And then somebody inevitably always responds, you think your lead time is long. Rolex takes 30 years to groom their future customers before they become Rolex customers. And I, I would not wish a workplace injury upon anybody. But what are the strategies that have you, you have found? Because in marketing success for you, you really have to get right message, right person, as well as the right time, the, the right um, point in their life as well. Absolutely. We have... Um, a strategy for brand recognition as well, because we know that um, people will remember us when they have that workplace injury, probably more so than beforehand. Um, usually people don't seek out attorneys for injuries and disabilities unless they need an attorney um, or know someone who needs an injury or disability attorney. Um, so we are big on trying to, um, you know, be everywhere. Um, Omni-channel marketing, um, as well as direct marketing is huge um, for us. We're also official partners with the Philadelphia Eagles, um, and that is a big part of the Philadelphia area. And so we have a lot of our clients, I would say, if not most of them in the Philadelphia area are huge Eagles fans. Um, and so that brand rec recognition too, when we're associated with the Eagles or anytime there's an Eagles game commercial um, where our brand is up there, our logo, it just makes for a really fun um, marketing association. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, marketing now in terms of attribution and really just the analytics that you have available in general have gotten so sophisticated over the course of the past few years how do you go about measuring the ROI on something like that? You know, we have the same thing here. We have a Bridgestone Arena, which is where the Predators play, a Nissan um, Stadium. As you're taking a look at your annual budgets and you're planning uh, your investments, how do you think about uh, awareness versus direct lead generation? It's harder to track things like billboards. Um, and, you know, if someone really you know, remembered us because they saw us on a billboard or because it was that commercial they saw two days ago and then had the injury. So um, during our intake process, we usually, um, well, we always ask the clients, you know, how did you find us? So um, that gives us a little bit of the insight, but it's also a gamble when you're doing something like the big bill, the big billboards or the out of home um, marketing. So um, we like to be everywhere at all times and just 
again, with the brand recognition, just have someone remember us um, anytime that they themselves are stuck and need legal help or they have someone else who needs, you know, a referral to an attorney. We want them to, you know, pick up the phone or at least be able to um, remember our name and put it in Google. Yeah. And it goes back to the point of you're going to be an analysis paralysis if you try to attribute every single penny and every single dollar that is spent. I saw on your Facebook account a few days ago, your founding partner hosted a Facebook Q&A welcoming a new partner to the team and talking about their experience and goals. Should all businesses be looking at live streaming as a new form of content marketing? Absolutely. Live streaming, especially now, um, it started getting very popular right after the pandemic. So um, anyone who has the resources, the ability to spend the time and the effort um, to dedicate to your marketing team, someone who knows live streaming or can handle it, can start planning different live events, webinars, webcasts. Um, I know in terms of engaging content, um, these live streaming videos and events are some of the most popular um, forms. So, you know, really utilizing that now and thinking about who are your thought leaders at your company? Who are the people um, that you can have either hosting or be um, the person who's asking that thought leader questions? Um, what are different topics you can talk about? What are different ways um, you can even time or format the live stream. Um, so there are different ways to do it. So you're not feeling like, you know, it's just me uh, in front of the camera the whole time. It doesn't necessarily have to be that. Yeah. And I love what the pandemic, there's not many things that I love about the pandemic, but one good benefit of the pandemic is you get a free pass on the environment and production quality now. You know, with everybody working from home, the world has changed where, you know, authenticity is valued over, you know, the typical production quality that you would expect from a live stream even just 12 months ago. Absolutely. I, I used to Skype when I was a live reporter um, 10, 12 years ago in Grand Junction, Colorado. And that was the first time I had ever used a live stream outside of the live truck. Um, mm -hmm. and it was the grainiest video. And anytime you panned, the, it would freeze for three seconds. So it has come a long way since then. Yeah, it's incredible. I don't even know the last time that I've actually seen a traditional satellite truck. You know, the uh, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and which hosted a presidential election at Belmont University this past year. And I saw the the media area outside because they had a they had a smaller media area inside because of uh, limited capacity, and it literally was a bunch of rented SUVs, not even branded, no satellite truck. And then even outside, you saw, you know, almost prosumer style cameras instead of the large traditional professional cameras that you would normally expect, the same LED light that you can buy on Amazon. And that's where the broadcasts were happening. So, you know, I think what this has done with the technology becoming smaller and more affordable is it means that if you have a marketing budget of literally $500, your company can start live streaming. It's not like what it used to be in the past anymore. Absolutely. There's a lot of tools and resources out there.
Mm-hmm. Now, your background you mentioned includes being a former TV news reporter as well as anchor. So you're clearly comfortable in front of the camera. What advice, you know, the other thing that stops people from live streaming, though, is being nervous in front of the camera because it is live. So what advice would you give to marketers or business leaders who might not be as comfortable with the live, not edited video? The same advice I would give someone I was interviewing and they were nervous. Just feel like it's a one-on-one conversation. If it is weird to be looking at yourself, look somewhere else or minimize the video so you don't have that distraction. Um, And also make sure you're taking these different opportunities to um, either give a speech or to lead a meeting um, to speak whenever you can because practice does make a difference. Um, Even though I'm not standing in front of a camera every day and reporting, you know, I try to take different opportunities where I'm either leading a different meeting or I become, you know, I can be um, an expert on the Forbes panel or um, be a contributor on a podcast. So um, just different opportunities where I get to practice because practice does make a difference. There's Toastmasters. Um, there's a lot of free uh, tools out there. So just utilize them. Start Googling and researching um, different opportunities, different tools you can use, even if you're practicing at home and you record yourself and just watch it back. Yeah, I love that piece of advice. And, you know, now I mentioned earlier, anybody can start a podcast. And even I think Spotify has a service where they'll host your podcast for free. I think just getting going is the hardest part. And the truth of the matter is, is that nobody's listening to the first 20 episodes anyway. So the the two people that are going to listen, I, I don't even want to go back to my first podcast episodes that I either hosted or was a guest on because I'm, I'm sure they're horrible. But, you know, all of all four and a half people are going to have to uh, forgive me. You know, by the time that you do build the audience, the truth of the matter is, is that practice is what makes it more comfortable. And we all get nervous. You know, even the people I used to interview where I would get nervous interviewing them would be nervous answering (laughs) me. Um, And that would always weirdly make me feel better Um, just because everyone gets a little nervous. Some people are better at not showing it, but Mm -hmm. it's almost, you know, healthy to have that tinge of nervousness right beforehand, um, just practicing helps you be a little more calm with it. So during your journalism career, who was it that you interviewed that you were the most nervous about the interview before the interview? That's a great question. Madeline Albright, I would say. Um, she was a, would be an intimidating. She was a tough cookie and she just, you know, it wasn't that she didn't want to be there. She didn't want to answer And she never said this, but she didn't want to answer dumb questions. Like she Mm -hmm. wanted to make sure every, you know, minute we were utilizing of her time was worth her time and, you know, go her um, as it should be. But, you know, I was starting out, I think it was my third year and I was at CBS and I was just, I was intimidated by her, but also in awe of her, respected her. And it was one of my most proud moments too, as a reporter. The thing that I've been surprised about is you think that it's very hard to be able to go out and and meet and be able to have the opportunity to be able to talk to some of these folks. And you mentioned earlier reaching out on LinkedIn and connecting with people on LinkedIn. I've found, you know, hosting a podcast, hosting a show just like you and I made this connection just like this 
um, people, it's a lot, it's a surprisingly easier than you would think to be able to reach out to somebody and uh, ask them to be a guest or to provide a quote for, for a blog post. Absolutely. Like you said, just starting somewhere is key. And once you start, then you'll dig in and find more opportunities than you're practicing. And then everything just starts to fall in line and you finally become the expert. Mm -hmm. Now, in your past life, you had businesses and other organizations that were seeking favorable coverage for their organizations. Now you're on the other side as a marketing and public relations director. What advice would you give to folks who are pitching media and trying to share a newsworthy message. Make sure that you have a good hook. You know, if it's spending another five, 10 minutes or five to 10 days brainstorming, collaborating, um, researching to find that hook, make sure you find it, spend that time doing that because it's not even worth your time pitching and sharing it with media if you know it's going to fall flat and if you know uh, none of them are gonna wanna pick it up. in addition to that, make sure you include any and all multimedia assets and elements to the story. It just helps in terms of the cast or the net you cast. Um, it could be wider if you have both the TV and the newspaper elements needed, um, whether it's a quote that someone can just pull right from um, your press release to an article or whether it's you know a Dropbox filled with different B-roll footage that you can include. Um, every element that you can include, uh, the more the better. Yeah, I love that. Just having all of the assets available and easy to be able to access and of course, high resolution and high enough quality that it actually could be published. It just saves somebody the stuff. The other thing that I love about what you're talking about is just making sure that your messaging is is relevant. You know, surprise, surprise, companies send out messages and you know, the their latest product announcement isn't going to make frontline newspapers, but if you can figure out a way to make it relevant to the current news cycle, it goes all, it makes all of the difference to your point. Yes, and you know, I was always that reporter that hated when someone would waste my time with a press release or a pitch that wasn't relevant. Um, but if, you know, you find that one hook that makes it topical or, you know, time sensitive for that day or that week, all the better. Uh, It just makes it that much more enticing for someone to reach out or follow up. Yeah, one one little PR hack that I love is going on Haro, help a reporter. And, you know, even if you're not pitching that specific person, it helps you understand what other publications are likely going to be looking for sources for in the future. And, uh, you know, Haro is something that's great, even if you are responding to that specific pitch. But even if you take that and then move to a different publication, chances are, you know, they're going after the same type of coverage, um, the same type of coverage. So we're going to pull that up here on the screen um, so that you can see. Um, what, what other pieces, what about the, you shared a little bit in terms of the things that you should do. What are the things that you should absolutely not do? You know, don't bother a reporter in terms of, you know, following up every day, um, giving them a call, sending them an email, sending them a text, you know, know what's appropriate in terms of outreach. And then, um, you know, 
don't hassle a reporter. Uh, I always found that the most annoying thing um, and would, you know, consume my time as a reporter. And next time around, I really didn't want to interact with that person who was hassling me. Um, so I would say just make sure that, you know, you are persistent and determined, dedicated to get your pitch across. Um, but don't be that reporter or um, pitch that, you know, leaves a negative impression and really impacts you for the rest of the time you're a PR consultant or um, working at that company. Yeah, that's a great point in terms of hassling reporters, because, you know, the the what you're trying to do is you're trying to get a story. But then after that, you, you want it to be a favorable story uh, as well. Something that's always shocking to me is you go onto the reporter's LinkedIn account or you go onto the reporter's uh, Twitter account, how few people are commenting on their posts when it coming is coming from their personal account. You know, another way of just being able to stay top of mind is to leave a relevant, thoughtful comment there. And, you know, the, the the person will know, you know, they'll, they'll recognize the name, they'll see the same profile uh, icon. Um, and it's a great way to st stay top of mind, but actually add value versus trying to constantly ask for a favor. Absolutely. Yep. And then you become the thought leader again in your industry. Um, and then you have people looking to you on LinkedIn or have that reporter again, like you said, remember you next time they have you know, that opportunity or that story. Yeah, absolutely. Now, since you worked at Pond Lee Hockey or when you started there, something I thought that was extremely impressive is the transformation and the work that you've been able to do around employer branding. Now, the law firm's been awarded a U.S. News and World Best Lawyers, Best Law Firms, Top Workplaces, Best Places to Work, and that's just in the past few years. What steps can other marketers or communications professionals take to be able to improve their own employer branding? Look for all those nominations and award opportunities that you can apply for and submit. Um, a lot of them are free, so it doesn't have to cost you anything. Uh, the pay for play ones, you can usually tell which ones they are. Um, and some people like to stay away from them. Um, but there are a lot of different opportunities for you to not only submit for your um, brand itself, but also thought leaders at your um, company that you're trying to highlight as well. Um, you can use the different awards that you win on your different, um, you know, content or marketing assets. So whether it's a billboard, whether you're putting it at the bottom of your email signature, whether it's on the bottom of your website, or you can even dedicate, you know, an accomplishments page um, or testimonials and, you know, host all those beautiful, shiny awards. Um, so it isn't just for you know, saying I won an award um, and it's one post and done, you can really utilize that award um, throughout your different marketing efforts. I love what you're describing there in terms of there's awards for the organization and there's also individual awards that you can nominate inspirational leaders and, you know, even employee of employee of the year type stuff as well. And just keeping track of the deadlines and when you have to submit is half the battle to being able to reach for uh, success on those, which is actually a good time to be able to remind everybody that the Inc. 2021 Best Places to Work uh, application is open right now. And the, the deadline for this is February 5th. 
So you still have some time. It is one of the ones that where you do pay to be able to apply, but it's just $345. As somebody is going in here and filling out this application, you know, any guidance for um, in terms of messaging things that really stand out? You know, a lot of these best workplaces, top workplaces, best places to work, they actually reach out to employees. So I don't know what employees will say or um, their messaging, but in terms of the awards or nominations we can, our marketing team can submit for, absolutely, we craft the communication so it puts our best foot forward, um, structuring it so we talk about in I like to say the classy way, talk about our previous awards because it does establish credibility. Um, and it's tough to say that other you know, companies will look to see who your company is partnered with. Um, same thing with awards. Other awards, um, you know, either organizations or companies are looking to see you know, what awards you've won in the past. Sometimes they'll even ask you on the application. Um, so you know, it's not necessarily always a fun game to play, but um, once you do build that credibility, it does make a difference. Yeah, and the hardest point, the hardest one to your point is just the first one. And then after that, it, it gets easier as you go. And, you know, the, there are prerequisites that you should check the temperature inside your organization. You know, you know, you work there day to day. If everybody's miserable, you're likely not going to do well on that survey when they do survey all of the employees. But um, if you know you have a healthy workplace, you know you have engaged employees, you know that tenure uh, is high. These are all signs if you're on the marketing team or if you're working within the HR team on employer branding. These are all good signs that it might be worth your time to be able to apply for these. The second one I would say that goes a long way is you know, have a story about how you're making the community a better place because if the only message that you're putting out there is growth and revenue, growth and revenue, growth and revenue, it's just not a competitive application. Right. Absolutely. What makes you different than every other company um, brand that's applying? Absolutely. Yeah. Really actionable tips from this episode. I'm so excited to be able to have you on. Looking forward to having you on again, Maura. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fight and Council Live. Thanks for having me. It was great chatting with you. Yeah, very great to be able to chat with you. Make sure to follow Maura on her LinkedIn profile as well. Thank you so much for joining Vitan Council Live. This show is on LinkedIn Live every single Thursday at noon central time. For a full schedule of all of our Vitan events, you can follow our calendar at vitan.com slash calendar. For more information on applying to join the Vitan Council, you can head over to vitan.com. Let me know what your thoughts are on today's episode, who you would like to see appear as a guest on future episodes. You can actually text me directly at 615-667-8433. That's 615-667-8433. It goes directly to my cell phone. And just make sure you add yourself to my phone's contact list. Take care, and I'll see you all next time.